Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hello, it's Michael Benner, your host for the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Thanks for joining us today. Our topic is the fear of fear. This is an interesting play on words. Of course, it goes to the famous Roosevelt quote from World War II about the only thing we have to fear is the fear of fear. And it's a little complex because fear is not frightening, but the fear of fear can be terrifying. What's the difference? Well, that's what we're here to talk about today. The fact that not only is fear itself not need to be frightening, but it can be an indication of wonderful things. I know that sounds odd, doesn't it? Fear can be, in many ways, the most wonderful feeling of all, because when we face it and embrace it, rather than ignore it, deny it, or run away from it, we find confusion. Fear is like a warning light on the dashboard of your emotional self that says, hey, pull over, look under the hood, you got a problem here. The light may not tell you what the problem is in any specific way, but once you open the hood and dig a little deeper, yeah, here I can see this belt is loose, the alternator doesn't work, whatever the problem happens to be that causes the check engine light to go off. But you would never ask your mechanic to repair the light, you see. The light is not the problem. It's just an indicator, and so it is with fear. Actually, and personally, I'm quite surprised that people don't talk about the value of fear. And yet, is there a more frightening word than fear? Well, <laughs> that's where we're at today. And I'm going to continue to develop this. We're sort of going back to basics because with the election of Donald Trump last November, we got off into a series of webinars about the shocking nature of that. And we talked about how to deal with it and how to view it in a non-political way from a point of view of emotional intelligence and self-awareness. And we talked about conscience and a lot about just decency and civility that really has nothing to do with politics. And then there was our house move from Los Angeles out to the Palm Springs area where we are now. So this is the first in our new series since having touched down in our new home in Palm Springs. So in many ways, we're starting afresh and uh, thought we'd go back to basics. For those of you who have inquired about the book, Fearless Intelligence, I'm in my fourth year of writing this. I thought I could do it in 18 months, maybe two years at most. But I've learned so much in the process of writing and using Google now to research. And, you know, anybody can write a book and publish it on Amazon these days. But so much of what's being published really has very little value. They're vanity books, and I didn't want to do a vanity book. I wanted, you know, to put some meat in there, something really valuable for you and something I could be really proud of. It may be the only book I ever write, although I, I do have ideas for a second and a third book now. But 
We'll let you know more about that later in the year. It's currently, as we record this, August of 2017, and we hope in a couple of months to wrap this up and have it available for you. So we'll let you know. Certainly in time for the end of the year holidays, we would hope to have this book available at Amazon. So the fear of fear. When I was uh, a young fella and just out of college, I took a class called Silva Mind Control. It was basically a class in self-awareness through hypnosis or self-hypnosis, better said. It was called Mind Control back in the day, but that phrase was off-putting to many because they didn't want their mind to be controlled. And so self-mind control, self-hypnosis, it's really meditation with visualization. And if meditation is a receptive state, this is more of a causative projection of affirmations and goals and solutions and the power of seeing yourself already having the desired outcomes and results that you would like to attain, understanding them better and doing a better job, therefore, of moving in the direction of that goal. Most people don't have what they want because they don't know what they want. And the irony is they don't bother often to decide what they want because they aren't sure they know how to get it. (laughs) Well, It's like that George Harrison song, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. If you don't know what you want, how are you going to get it? So as Stephen Covey used to say, you have to begin with the end in mind. You must have a goal in mind, a desired result or an outcome, even though you may have no idea how you're going to accomplish it or resolve your problem or arrive at the solution. Doesn't matter. You begin with the goal. And only then can you begin to map out a strategy for attaining it. And that can be sort of scary for many people. Well, my goal in taking civil mind control was to understand myself better. And I certainly did. I learned a form of meditation, as I say, or self-hypnosis more correctly, that enhanced my self-awareness. And instead of being myself, I began to take a step back in these levels of heightened awareness and watch myself. I would watch my thoughts and study the process without being the thinker, simply the watcher of my thought process. And So it was with my emotions. Instead of being emotional, I was much more in touch with my emotional feelings because I could take that one step back and observe the emotions unfolding. And they rolled over at my feet and revealed themselves to me in remarkable ways. So my understanding of my thoughts and feelings, and yeah, in the same way, my behavior too, began to expand. And understanding yourself, this whole idea of self-observation, this is what the ancient Greeks talked about. Know thyself, according to Plato, was inscribed over the oracle to Apollo in ancient 
Greece and Delphi thousands of years before Plato. And Plato, we're talking 450 B.C. And about that same time on the other side of the world, Confucius was saying the same thing. One who knows others is wise, but one who knows himself is enlightened. And that's perhaps the most frightening thing of all. The fear of fear, ultimately, bottom line, is the fear of understanding yourself, of taking a real deep look at the truth of who you are. And why would that be frightening? Well, because fear is an indicator of things unknown. Fear doesn't indicate bad things unless you ignore it. And, of course, the emotions that are associated with it are called negative emotions because they hurt. But they only hurt because they want your attention. It's not a punishment. Your anger, your frustration, your irritation, your upset, your heartache, your depression and sadness, it's, it's, it's just your brain asking for more information. You need to understand yourself better. Imagine that if you could give up the fear of fear and recognize it as a signal that your brain is asking for you to understand yourself better. Well, this all became clear to me about 10 years after taking this class, Silva Mind Control. So by now I'm in my early 30s and I was sitting one afternoon I guess you could say meditating, but it wasn't really a formal meditation. I was just sitting with my eyes closed, thinking about a number of things in my life that needed organizing and sorting out and reflecting a bit on what was going on in my life. And in the midst of all of that, I heard a voice as clearly as if Someone was seated next to me, and the voice even used my name. It wasn't my voice. It didn't sound like anybody I knew. It was like a man's voice. It was very authoritative, but also gentle, almost a whisper. And it said to me, Michael, the best parts of you are hidden where you're most afraid to look. And the silence that followed was as if time stood still. There was no reverberation, no echo, no response, no further words. So I just reflected on it for a moment, thought, this feels really important. I think this is really a big insight. I, I want to be sure and remember it. So I repeated it to myself several times. The best parts of me are hidden where I'm most afraid to look. What if the best parts of me are available, but they're behind the very things I'm afraid to explore? The best parts of me are hidden where I'm most afraid to look. Well, if I if I if I want to understand myself, then I've got to look directly into the depths of my fears and recognize them not as signals of any kind of danger, but simply as an indication of 
something I don't really know or understand, something I'm not aware of, something that confuses me or an area of my life where I've been misled. And I began to do that. In fact, in the weeks and months that followed, I realized there was no way I was ever going to forget this epiphany, this revelation that came to me so spontaneously that afternoon. How could I ever forget this wisdom? It was just so, what can I say, earth-shattering, groundbreaking. <laughs> it was amazing. It was as if the top of my head blew open and this wisdom poured in for a moment. And so since then, that's really guided me. The best parts of you, Michael, are where you're most afraid to look. So when I want to understand myself, when I want to understand anything that's confusing or depressing or angers me, frustrates me, irritates me, first thing I have to do is abandon blame and take personal responsibility for the feeling. Because even if others are involved or situations beyond my control are stimulating the feeling, nevertheless, the feeling is my response to it. It's my feeling, right? So it's about me. Maybe somebody insults me or lets me down certain reality and the fact that they did that to me. But instead of fixating on the other person with blame and giving my power away, I began to claim my power by saying this emotional feeling is a response to whatever was said or done. And it comes from me, so therefore it's about me. What can I learn about myself? And about that time, I stumbled across a quotation by Eleanor Roosevelt, who was Franklin Delano Roosevelt's first cousin, as you probably know, and his wife. And she wrote quite a bit about fear. And she said, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And as I reflected on that, I realized no one can hurt me in any way emotionally without my confusion, without me thinking maybe there was some merit to the insult, that maybe they've got a point. Maybe I am bad, weak, wrong, stupid, clumsy, inadequate, not good enough. I realized most of this stuff is held over from childhood. And the fear of fear, the fear of understanding yourself is really a fear that people who have criticized you and bullied you in your life, whether it was a classmate or being rejected romantically by somebody that you're interested in, or the criticism of so-called parenting, parents who fail to distinguish between their love for you and your behavior. You know, an enlightened parent will say, I love you, but this behavior is horrible. It's very bad behavior. And because I love you and you're very safe, uh, there's going to be some consequence. There has to be some punishment, some way you can remember the lesson. So you become the best person you can be. 
Now give me a hug and get your butt upstairs because you're grounded, buddy. (laughs) Instead, what most parents do is you are a bad little boy. You're a horrible little girl. And then maybe we get hit. So a child takes that literally. Little boys and girls are very suggestible. And when they're told they are bad, they don't go to the room and cry and then say, well, what my parents meant was that my behavior was bad, but they really love me. They must. They give me clothes and and feed me, and they don't charge me any rent money. And thank goodness I'm only seven years old. I can't drive the car yet, so... <laughs> you see, kids don't do that. You tell a kid he's bad or she's horrible or rotten. That was the word I heard in my house. You are rotten. And I grew up in a rural area where there was a lot of fruit grown in the summer, and I knew what happened to rotten fruit. It got thrown away. So if I'm being told I'm rotten and I'm disposable, I'm going to get thrown away. And you say, well, no kid would take it that literally. Oh, yeah? (laughs) They really do. Even if the conscious mind has some hesitation and say, well, they don't really mean that. They're just freaking out. The unconscious takes it literally. And that's 90% or more of who we are is that unconscious mind. It takes that suggestion and takes it literally and believes what we're told especially at those young ages. So the point of all of this is recognizing that fear is like a warning light on the dashboard, like a check engine light that says, pull over, look under the hood. Take a look at these emotions, own them, take responsibility. They are your emotional responses and your ability to understand what they mean and choose to learn from them is your response ability. Take ownership. Stop blaming other people for, quote, making you feel the way they do. Accept that this is the way you feel. Don't ignore or deny your feelings. That leads to all kinds of health problems, which I'm sure we'll talk about in another podcast. And sit quietly in a meditative or contemplative state. It's as simple as just reflecting on the emotion. Ask yourself, why do I feel this way? A question I like to use in my reflection is, what is my personal growth lesson? And it's almost like the emotion will answer me. If I ask it a question, it communicates to me. It may take 15 or 20 seconds to respond. And you may have to sit through a bit of silence before your intuition reveals it to you. Don't try to figure it out. This is not an exercise in logic or reasoning or analysis. Figuring your emotions out is never going to work or it would have worked by now for you, right? This is about sitting quietly and waiting for your intuition to gently burst into your awareness with a little aha, a little bit of illumination. 
Oh, I see. Well, wait a minute. Oh, that's what that must mean. Oh, that reminds me of a time when I... Oh, I see. And it reveals itself to you. It's intuitive. It's emotional intelligence. Let's be clear about this. We'll talk about it a lot in the future, and we have in the past, if you want to dig into the archives at the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School here. Mental intelligence, the type of intelligence we were trained to use in school, is logical. It's analytical, rational, reasonable, based on reasoning, and in most cases, deductive. It goes from general to specific. You strip things away, eliminating what you know does not apply. Process of elimination. Just like you order from a menu. You go to a restaurant, you open the menu, you don't immediately choose what it is you want to eat. You eliminate what you know you don't want to eat and narrow it down, general to specific. Well, breakfast is out. I already had breakfast and dinner. I think that's a little too much. I'm more into the lunches. Let's see. Hmm, salad? No, I had a salad yesterday. How about a sandwich? You know, the, and you narrow it down, take it to two or three items, and then you choose from what's left. That's called logic. That's deductive reductionist, general to specific. And that's basically all we have, except for emotional intelligence, which is intuitive. And this is not A leads to B leads to C. This is not general to specific. It's more specific to general. It's like looking at little details, passively, quietly sitting until the general the overarching concept, the big picture, the whole enchilada just sort of bursts into your awareness. Okay? And any fear, any anxiety that was associated with it, I'm not saying that's the case when you order from a menu, but when you're exploring your heartache, your sadness, your depression, your anger, and frustration and irritation and simple confusion, even your apathy. If you sit quietly and non-judgmentally with responsibility for the fact that the feeling is your response, it's coming from you, even if someone or something outside of you stimulated it. And just want to know about it, just... Explore, be inquisitive, be curious. Not only will you get the insight, the information, the understanding, and the awareness that you seek, but poof, all of the fear and the hurtful emotion that goes with it will simply vaporize. It'll just disappear. No more fear, no more fear of fear. And then, of course... A few hours go by, a few days go by, a few weeks go by, and you lather, rinse, and repeat like the back of the shampoo bottle. Something else is bothering you, you do the same thing. But it starts with accepting that you're responsible, even if somebody did it to you. 
yeah, well, if they hadn't said that to me, I wouldn't feel this way. Yeah, but they did, and you do. So, except that the emotion is your response, it's personal. And that's where your power lies, all right? So, the fear of fear. That's our lesson for today. Face your fear, embrace your fear, move directly into the heart of your fear. See it not as a signal of danger, but merely confusion, lack of understanding or awareness. And, of course, understanding and awareness will be the antidote, you see. No more fear. Poof. Fear is your friend now. Fear is your ally. Fearless person is not someone who doesn't know fear. Courageous, fearless person is someone who faces their fear and walks directly into the center of what scares them the most. Fear is not the way. Love is the way. But fear is the entrance ramp. Follow your heartache to find your heart and follow your heart. And if you lose it, use your heartache and your fear to get back on the track and follow your heart. You see? That's the whole story. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll make it a habit. We'll be more regular with these podcasts now that we're settled into our new home and our new studio. And uh, tell your friends all about it. Sign up for our newsletter at uh, michaelbenner.com or theagelesswisdom.com. And we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks, okay, down the road. Thank you. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Palm Springs, this is Michael Benner. So long. (laughs) 